The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined this week by Tyler Ball. What's going on, Tyler? What's going on, guys? Uh, you can check me out at TABall1 on Twitter. And uh, you can always use the, the hashtag and the Twitter at KTSPOD. That's right. Know the score can be found on CSPN.us. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Um, you can also follow along with the hashtag KTSPod. So, Tyler, we're going to get right into it. NBA action was once again fantastic as the NBA season has kicked off. I started a little bit earlier than usual um, as we got started on Tuesday night. As we had, like I said last week, the, you know, the preview of maybe the Eastern and Western Conference Finals as we had the Celtics travel up to Cleveland to take on the Cavaliers. Um, but this game was marred and the start of the season was marred by a gruesome injury to Gordon Hayward. Um, he was going up for a backdoor um, and, you know, his leg got caught up under him wrong on the come down and he uh, basically broke his uh, tibia and dislocated his ankle. Um, just very hard injury to watch. Definitely uh, took a lot of air out of the Celtics. They got down by almost 20, uh, but they fought back. And uh, it, uh, Kyrie's last second three came up just short, looked like it was going to go in. I think a lot of people in the stands in Cleveland thought that when he uh, lined that up, that it was going to probably be the dagger, but fell just short. So the Cavs held on to win. Um, just kind of your thoughts on the game itself. And then we'll talk about Gordon Haywood and kind of what that uh, move means for the Celtics moving forward. Okay. Uh, just a very quick summary. Um, the game turned out like I expected. Um, even though you have the injury, um, let's just say that Boston, uh, it took a wood out of the Boston fan sales, but because Kyrie Irving is in a rebel, a rebel mode now, um, I know people are going to say it's the whole Mamba mentality. I think that Kyrie Irving, now that he has to have the tool, the controls, um, I think that Boston is still going to be a factor when it's all said and done this season. I just don't know if they have enough depth to keep up with the Cleveland Cavaliers or even the Washington Wizards, which we'll tap, we'll touch on in a second. But um, you know, the Boston fans are are in are in panic mode. But I don't think that Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge are ones to uh, to panic and blow up the entire season because after all, it is the Eastern Conference, and all you got to do is. Uh, you know, hopefully stay healthy the rest of the way and get to the tournament, which is the NBA playoffs. Now, um, do you think that this should change the expectations of the Celtics um, with this with this injury? Um, you know, Hayward was, you know, basically to be the sidekick to Kyrie and, you know, looked upon to, you know, provide a whole bunch of scoring. So now they're going to have to get that from probably two or three different guys to make up for his production. Um, um, to, to, for expectations? Um, I mean, once you once you say you're a a top a top three, I mean the general expectation was a top three seed, um, uh, and you know challenging Cleveland for the playoffs. So nothing's changed. Um, yes, you do you have lost a significant amount of scoring, but at the same time, it's not like you don't have guys 
who have proven that they can uh they can number one stop team stop teams and number two uh you know they can manufacture points too uh they're not a bad free throw shooting team all those guards can shoot free throws you're going to expect a lot more from guys like Jalen brown who is uh definitely uh improving as an offensive talent he's already a, a, a legitimate defender uh you know those guys that just have to step up and account for about you know 15 to 20 extra points uh, let's let's think about this. If when you account for Gordon's twenty points, that means uh, let's say you have a full first first five and a full and a um and you know your top three. So eight into twenty ain't but you know two and a half points a game. So you get two and a half point improvement from from everyone that that plays. Then you make up for Gordon's twenty points. So I think that's doable. And I think because you're playing against the Eastern Conference, I don't think your expectations should should uh, should change. Now, as far if you got Boston actually beating Cleveland, then that's another story. But I don't think a lot of people felt that that uh, that Boston was going to beat Cleveland anyway. All right. Now we'll shift it over to the second half of that doubleheader that happened on Tuesday night as the Warriors got their really big rings. And then they were out cruising along handling the Rockets, and then Draymond got hurt towards the end of the third quarter. Uh, they started turning the ball over, and lo and behold, the Rockets, with Chris Paul on the bench, came all the way back, uh, took the lead, had the lead by one, Warriors got the last shot, Kevin Durant's uh, bucket went in, but upon replay, the ball was still in his hand as the red light went off, and the Rockets steal the opening night win, 122-121. Um, very interesting not to see Chris Paul in the game down the stretch when the Warrior, when the Rockets, excuse me, were doing most of their uh, comeback. Um, if you know uh, later found out that he his knee injury is a little bit more serious than we thought, as he's now going to be missing a couple of weeks after playing uh, over thirty minutes on, on that knee to, uh, that first night. So uh, Tyler, just kind of your synopsis of the new look Rockets and kind of um, now they're not going to have Chris Paul, so it's going to be a little bit longer for him to kind of get acclimated to his new role uh, since they don't really set up an offense in Houston. They just kind of get the ball and go. He looked a little lost at some points. Which is why uh, that very reason is why I don't think it's going to really hurt uh, Houston all that much. I mean, they just go back to doing what they've been doing before. Give get the ball to Harden. Let Harden, uh, Harden set it up. Uh, honestly, Chris, Chris Paul allows you to uh, – Chris Paul is really a playoff addition because he allows you – to have James Harden uh, get some one on get some favorable one on one matchups off the ball, and that's that's really what they need for the playoffs. I don't think the I don't think it affects what they want to do as far as in the regular season. Uh, you're talking about maybe twelve to fifteen games. Uh, all they all you got to do is split those, and and you'll be fine. I think it's not as a big deal as folks consider it to be because they're going to try to outscore teams anyway. Now here I'm going to take this a step further. And I'm going to use this game to talk about the Warriors' uh, second game, which was last night against the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, in which they fell down by as many as 15 in the first half. But then Kevin Durant emerged as an animal defensively. Uh, I, I, I really, really like the fact that Durant is making more of a concerted effort at free-flowing on the defensive end because that takes the pressure off of Draymond, Iguodala, and uh, and of course Zaza or whoever's playing center 
uh, at that particular time. Because now their strategy is funneling everything towards Durant, and Durant now is, is a shot blocker, and which is, which is tremendous. Uh, that he's actually giving he's giving effort uh, on on the defensive end, and that's that's probably that's impressive to me. Uh, that means that he he he's watching film. He's actually getting he's staying active, and he's he's not going to be a one trick pony. So, I mean, it's a scary thought, but. A guy like Kevin Durant being uh being having a chance at defensive player of the year is rather frightening. Mind you, the Warriors were the be- were the best uh defensive rated team last year. So if Kevin gets it, if Kevin improves, if he keeps improving on his one-on-one defense and now becomes part of the team defensive uh team defensive acumen, I mean, what what else is there to prove for the Warriors? Um, you know, they went they got down 15. And simply because Kevin Durant was active on defense and gave, uh, you know, guys not named Boogie Cousins or uh, Anthony Davis problems, they got back into the game and took the lead after, right immediately after halftime. Yeah, the uh, the Boogie Cousins, Anthony Davis, Twin Towers experiment is still going strong, uh, but they don't have enough perimeter or small forward guy to kind of go with them to allow them to really, you know, be effective because, you know, basically you let those two guys score all they want, shut everybody else down, and the Pelicans are kind of hamstrung. Um, the second uh, matchup that we had, marquee matchup, was the Cavs and the Bucks. We had the Greek Freak and LeBron facing off. Um, the Greek Freak is just so tough, man. Uh, 34 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. Uh, he starts the game off playing point guard, um, you know, coming down, setting up the offense, getting assists, taking, you know, backing guys down. Uh, he's just tremendous. I, I if you don't, if you haven't watched him play like a whole game, I, I suggest at some point you do. The next time the Bucks are on NBA TV or, or TNT or ESPN, because just the amount of things that he can do in, in the course of a game is just shot dropping. I have just one, and it, it's a very big issue, but I have just one issue with the Greek freak, and this is gonna be a question that everybody has asked, so it's nothing new. What happens when you play one of those defensive-minded teams uh, in the Eastern Conference, like a Charlotte, like a Charlotte, or a um, a team that does have some height? Uh, let's say like a um, like like a like a, okay like a Minnesota. Um, they're, they're, even though they're not as good as defensively, but they have a presence inside. Uh, what happens when you try to um, you force you pack it in? And this is this. It actually doesn't doesn't necessarily mean the Greek Freak. It could be the Bucks in general. What happens when you decide to pack it in against the Bucks? Uh, you got they they don't have the shooting that it takes to actually be a threat to the top three teams in the uh, east in the Eastern Conference. They're fun to watch. They make a lot of plays. They they defend like nobody's business. I mean, that's the whole concept of Jason Kidd uh, getting that team together. But at the the problems are still. The, the same as last year. They're going to go through two and three or four minute stretches where they can't get a good look. And I'm just, I'm just interested to see how they get around that. I want to see Malcolm Brogdon attack the rim more. And, 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 you know, I think a lot of, a lot of teams are going to take two or three steps back from those, from those guys and see if, you know, somebody other than Chris Middleton can hit it, can hit a shot from the perimeter. They've uh, invested in Tony Snell. 
he seems to be kind of their their sniper that they're going to be counting on this year. I to, don't trust him, but to yeah, see if he can, he you know, provide that. I think they gave him fifty million. Yeah, to see if he don't can be him. that thirty-eight, forty-one percent three-point shooter that you kind of need that, you know, that consistent three-point shooting threat. Um, it'll be interesting to see once Parker comes back. Um, you know, if he's had enough time to kind of stretch his game out far enough where his three point shooting is a little bit more consistent. Um, if that turns out to be the case, then that may be the player right there that you don't have now that you add to the mix that kind of, you know, relieves that pressure that they can't pack it in on because, you know, not only is he a threat slashing to the basket, but, you know, if his jump shot is that much more improved, then, you know, he'll be a, a difficult cover as well, probably harder than the Greek freak because, you know, at some distances, the freak's jump shot is not as consistent as it as you would like to see. So, yeah, you know, definitely you, anything you, outside of 16 feet. Uh, yeah. you, you, it's a win. It's a win for your defense. If Greek Freak is sitting sitting in the perimeter taking sixteen footers instead of going going to the rim trying to dunk on you, I, right. I, I'll still say that about Milwaukee. However, right. they're going to be fun to watch because they they get active on the defensive end. They they're going to create some fast break opportunities, and everybody loves the Greek Freak in the open court. <laughs> uh, speaking of. Uh, exciting players to watch, of course, with the new season comes rookies and some guys who basically who aren't rookies but are making their debuts due to injury. So, uh, two of the most notable names we had out of the uh, first uh, opening weekend are Ben Simmons and Lonzo Ball. Uh, ben Simmons debuted with the 76ers. Um, again, they've got him playing, you know, point guard, uh, doing a lot of setting up the offense, bringing the ball down, initiating things. Um, he had nice debut first two games. He scored over 15 points, had over five rebounds and five assists. Um, so just talk about one more piece to the process up in Philly with Ben Simmons. This is finally um, the year where they kind of, you know, take the next step up to being on the edge of the playoffs. I don't know. A lot of teams, a lot of people, excuse me, are saying that they're kind of a wild card to maybe improve enough to get into the bottom of the playoffs. I think they need to grow a little bit more first. But Tyler, your thoughts on Ben Simmons and the 76ers? I absolutely love watching Ben Simmons play uh, right now. He's actually on a team that can finish plays, that can push the ball up the court, especially with a healthy Joel Embiid. Um, I, I, he's got Markel Fultz on the wing who, who's been, who, who looks like he's going to be a factor. Um, even, even though, uh, the, the veteran guys like Jared Bayless, um, you know, you kick it out to them and Bayless, Bayless can hit from the perimeter. So you give a guy like Ben Simmons options, he is going to make your team, uh, a much better team going forward. Uh, and, and on top of that, he's looking, he's already looking to drive and finish at the rim, which is, he obviously knows his strengths. Um, you know, he is looking to put the ball on the floor, get get opportunities inside, or you post them up and let him make the, make the pass. Kind of reminds me of what LeBron wanted to do early on in his career. Uh, you know, not a direct comparison to James, but early on, you know, LeBron was the consummate slasher his rookie, his rookie season, and he got a ton of points because – he knew he had a first step, and once he could beat his man, it was it was four on three at the rim. So Simmons sticks to that plan, and he provided Philly can hit some jump shots around him. Uh, I don't think that the eighth or even the seventh seed is out of the realm of possibility for the Sixers. Uh, going forward, uh, we talk about 
Lonzo Ball, uh, the much hyped and long and much awaited debut of Ball uh, against the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, I actually watched this game. I was uh, and it looked like Lonzo was a kid, you know, fresh off his uh, UCLA, uh, his last game at UCLA, where he was a little bit passive. And maybe it was because you had one of the best one-on-one defenders in the league uh, really taking onus to guard him literally in his grill in Patrick Beverly. Uh, Lonzo, with Beverly guarding him, only took two shots and was really literally knocked off the ball from uh, Beverly, even had even committed two turnovers. Uh, you know, Beverly literally picked his pocket for a layup. And then in one sequence, which pretty much summed up the game, uh, Lonzo was trying to uh, get around the pick with Brooke Lopez, and he frustrated Lopez so much that uh, Lopez extended his hip out and caught uh, Beverly and got the offensive foul. And Beverly's on the scri- on the sideline pulling his Tony Allen, screaming first team all defense. And of course, Beverly uh, took to the microphone after the game and and said that you know he alluded to uh, Lonzo Ball's father, Lavar. And, the, and his antics and all the things he said that a lot of guys in the league are going to be coming for Lonzo and he just needs to be ready to play. Of course, Lonzo agreed with that assessment and he said he, he would be ready. And game two last night against the uh, Phoenix Suns, of course, it's the Phoenix Suns, but Lonzo looked like he, he, was, re- he was more aggressive and took some shots and was ready to play. Uh, finished 12 or 27 from the field in the game. They literally held on at one and uh, won one, uh, what, 132 to 130 uh, on the road. Uh, Lonzo Ock finished just an assist shy of a triple double. He had to, uh, he had 11 rebounds and uh, and nine assists to go along with, uh, I believe, 20, uh, 27 points. So, yeah, you're gonna have it's gonna be up, it's gonna be some up and down times for him, like any other other rookie. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of Laker fans were so, were, were just fully disappointed. I had, I had quite a few, uh, chats on Twitter about the Lakers and what, and what's going on. And, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of fans were gloom and doom because they look so bad. Um, I just think that bottom line, the, uh, I think Lonzo himself is worth a 10 game improvement, but, um, the Lakers are just going to be the Lakers. They got to add some more talent and some more pieces. But I really think that Lonzo is their point guard of the future. Um, just before we move on from the NBA and the Lakers, how long do you think it's going to be before Kuzma is starting? Um, I don't know because Luke feels like he uh, Luke is it, it is kind of I don't know, Luke Luke kind of has this concept where he would like to have both units scoring equally. Mm-hmm. So I think he's going to stick with Clarkson for for a while. Um. It, but but I think that it's got to be the chemistry between Kuzma and Lonzo. I think that matters. Uh, right now, uh, Clarkson looks like, and he's and this has been going on for the last couple of weeks. Clarkson is more active. Uh, Clarkson looks like he he's can create his own shot a little bit better than Kuzma right now. So I think Kuzma is going to be the leader of the second unit, and if he emerges to be a starter, it's going to be somewhere around. Uh, maybe a couple of months from now. Then let's see. Let's see what the first twenty games, what Clarkson and Kuzma do, and then Luke, Luke will probably make that switch. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's been uh, a standout during the training camp, during the uh, workouts, during preseason. He's very consistent. He um, stretched four, so he's got a good-looking three-point shot. He's very versatile, can score on the inside, too. So I think that Kuzma may be the key to their season. He's just, you know, yeah. it's a lot he can oh, do. Definitely. He's a lot more explosive than Larry Nance Jr. is right now playing that kind of same spot. So I don't know. Um, that, that's the guy that I would kind of see will kind of get the short end of the stick if there was a lineup change. I just don't see what Larry Nance brings to you besides being a guy who can jump high and run fast right. so right so and, and to the, be honest uh uh <laughs> so, so i think they're, they're gonna be they're having a lot of defense they've had defensive issues for the last four years so nothing's changed there but good gosh blake griffin had did basically anything he wanted on the defensive end i mean they tried to go they tried to go big and play bogut and um bogut dance and uh, Lopez, and that team would look like it was stuck in the mud on the defensive end. So I, I have they, I, you know, there no no clue. There is no clue out there on how to defend stretch fours. So that's probably what's going to keep them from being a player, a a you know a emerging from the basement and keep them under uh, under forty wins because they're not going to be able to defend, and they're they're probably going to be uh, bottom three worst defensive teams. Because they are just super, super slow. They're long, but they're slow. And, right. uh, you know, anybody with any kind of foot speed or any kind of size is going to just outquick them to the rim and, and they're going to get whatever they want in the, uh, in the post. So, so, yeah, Lakers got a ways to go. Okay. So at this point, just a reminder that this is No Score. No Score is brought to you by CSPN. You can find us at CSPN.us. Visit our website, check out No Score and all our other great podcasts here on CSPN. So we're going to shift over to the MLB. Playoffs are still going on full effect. We have the Los Angeles Dodgers. They wrapped up their series against the Cubs 4-1. to uh, Strength of the Bats really woke up in this series. Uh, they beat the uh, Cubs in the final game 11-1. to Kershaw with a great performance. Only blemish was a long home run he gave up to Chris Bryant. Other than that, um, you know, he looked a lot better. Best uh, performance he's had in the postseason so far. So, they finally accomplished what has probably been about three or four years in the making for most people. So, Dodgers are back in the World Series. Tyler, um, assess their chances um, you know, against the Yankees or Astros and then we'll shift to talk over to uh, the American league pitching 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 um this time it's a little bit different for the dodgers because for one Ker uh kershaw is going to be able to set the tone in game one of the series of the world series uh he's not going to be coming off of short rest which is an advantage um you know there's a really weird stat that no team since the 93 phillies has won after winning the pennant first uh all the all the World Series winners were the the second team to win the pennant, and maybe that's because uh, that team that was second was kind of um, kind of pressed into making making some creative decisions around their pitching, and they got great performances out of their uh, out of their lineup shifts. But it all comes down to uh, you know getting getting quality starts from Kershaw. And whoever they decide to uh, back him up with, whether it be uh, Rich Hill or you Darvish, um, Darvish is probably the second best uh, trade deadline prospect. I mean, trade deadline acquisition other than 
uh, Verlander, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, he make he makes that he brings balance to that pitching core. So I I like them, and actually the, the the Dodger bats have been the most consistent bats of any team in the postseason. So right. they can get around. Um, even Yasiel Puig, who was essentially left for left for dead, uh, he's actually had a great playoff run. Of course, you have your 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 uh, your mainstays this season in Bellinger and and your other your your other guys. Bellinger is probably the, the um, you know rookie of the year. Uh, he's pretty much he's pretty much secured that. But um, as long as they attack whoever staff they get, be it um, be it the Yankees or the Astros, um, you know, obviously work work the counts, particularly Dallas Dallas. Uh, Dallas Keuchel and uh, and Verlander, you try to extend them, and you can definitely do that with the Yankee pitching. So they're definitely going to have the advantage on either one of the winners. It's just that Houston brings a little bit more power across the board, but I would still favor the Dodgers to win it all. All right. Over in the American League, the Yankees and Astros will square off in a winner-take-all Game 7 as the Astros jumped out to a 2-0 lead winning both games at home. The Yankees, but they're seeing shifting bats in Yankee Stadium with some dramatics, won all three of those games, the whole serve. The scene shifted back to Houston last night as Justin Verlander, masterful, got out of a couple of jams, held off the Yankees. Uh, the Astros got enough of a lead, and they actually did the one thing that you want to do. If Aaron Judge is going to hit a home run, have it be when he leaves off the inning. So they had a 3-1 lead going into the eighth inning, and then Altuve, he answered with a home run. They kind of got a 4-1 lead, and then from there, stretched it out a little bit to win 7-1. So now we're going into Game 7, the Yankees. Bats. Um, the story of this uh, series has been basically the home team has had the hot bats and the road team hasn't been able to get anything going. So now tonight, the biggest game the Astros have played in in the history of their franchise versus the Yankees, a uh, young team. Most of these guys, the biggest game that they've played in. Who's got the advantage tonight, Tyler? Um. Well, it's going to be weird. I'm going to say because of the pitching, it's got to be the Yankees. Um, Yankees are putting Sabathia out on the, on the hill. Uh, Houston definitely is going to have to attack this by committee. You don't know what – I don't know if they're going to um, – I don't know if they're going to uh, go attack this by committee, but I, I can't see Morton going more than, f- than five. I can't see it. I think it's going to have to be done by committee. I think you you bring in, and even if you have to bring in a guy like, uh, you know, even if you have to bring a guy off a short rest, I'm just not sure if uh, if Morton's going to be your guy. Uh, I, I I have trust in Sabathia. I think that uh, he comes up with a great performance tonight. I think the Yankees have have a chance, um, but it's all about who works into the bullpen. Right. Who's going to get that? Who's going to get that that hot inning? Who's going to get that hot inning where they can put two runs across and change the complexity of the game? And and this may happen multiple times. Yeah. This has been Houston's biggest problem in the games in New York. Uh, their bullpen just got really shaky on them. And, uh, Yankees were able to come back in the late innings and they weren't able to to hold the lead. So um, that was a big spot, a couple of big spots last night where Verlander stayed in the game. And I think that was directly because, you know, they just didn't want the bullpen to have to pitch too many innings, you know, two innings is kind of, 
their max right now. And if the Yankees can get them to where they need to go four or five, um, yeah, the Yankees should have the advantage uh, coming into that part because their bullpen has been really strong uh, in the games where the Yankees have had to kind of stretch their bullpen. Their bullpen has kind of come through and held them in a few games. So, you know, game sevens um, usually turn out one or two ways. Either the home team jumps out early and it's a blowout or we get an all-time classic. So hopefully we get the second one where we get an all-time classic and, and we you know, the best team will win. Last piece I'm, of news. I'm leaning toward. I'm leaning toward. I'm leaning toward a Yankee. I'm leaning toward a Yankee win. Uh, you know, is I'm anticipating somebody, whether it be somebody booting the ball or something or or a couple of of uh, borderline pitches that calls that don't go Morton's way. I'm anticipating the Yankees getting out to an early lead, and then. That's where the strategy comes into play. Yankees go up one or two to nothing. What does uh what what does Houston do? Right. Do they stick with Morton or do they just just throw caution to the wind and go and try to steal innings from their bullpen? I think the longer Morton goes, the better Houston's chances are. All right. Final bit of MLB news is uh, Dusty Baker will not be returning as the Nationals manager. Uh, they have decided to not renew his contract after this season, move into a different direction, uh, according to their words. Um, kind of saw this coming. If you uh, follow the Nationals um, or just baseball in general, just the way that they flamed out and Dusty, you know, being right at the helm of the decisions that led to the flame out in the playoffs. Um, I thought at the time, the way that they lost game five at home, um, strictly with the way that he used the bullpen that, you know, that would probably get him fired and uh, well, not really fired, but not brought back since he was at the end of his contract. And um, that's basically what happened. Bryce Harper, uh, not happy. Um, again, he has to go through another manager managerial change. I think this is like his third manager in seven seasons. Time so, is ticking. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> he was is ticking. He's, yeah. he's basically, you know, got into the press and said that he thought Dusty, you know, got done wrong and should be brought back. So, um, is this the last hurrah for Dusty Baker? And uh, kind of what do you see for the, you know, what type of manager do you think that Nationals need to get them over the hump? I don't know if it's the last hurrah for Dusty. Dusty will always, I think Dusty can, can leave on his own terms because teams are always going to need a manager who can manage the regular season. They're going to always need that. They're going to need guys who, who uh, they're always going to be looking for managers who can, can get them through. And then, you know, build, build, build a team, build a team that's in the basement, build them up, get some, get some talent around them. And he will get them through that regular season and probably win them a bunch of games with the talent. However, this ain't the only rodeo that does that's that's involved Dusty and his his lack of great decision making in the postseason. Uh, the it is very clear that the Nationals have been win now have been in win now mode for about three and a half years for about three years now, and we're we're nobody in the baseball world is surprised. That's been that's been the the the, the knack that's been the the knack on Dusty for years, um, going back to his days with the Giants. I mean. Uh, with the Reds, excuse me. I, I just, I don't know. And and then then the second question, obviously, is who do you replace him with? Do you do you go after a a a veteran manager, a guy who has a ton a ton of experience in the postseason? Uh, you know, uh, a guy, for example, um, you know, Boston just let go of their manager. Do you go after him? Uh, 
who he, I mean, there's so many questions right now. They're they're at a they're at a crossroads because this is the one decision that is going to make or break whether or not Bryce Harper stays in DC. Um, that's your only chance to keep him in DC. Let's put it that way. Um, I think that you need you need a manager that's that's not afraid to take chances in the postseason. Um, I think Dusty's a bit bit too conservative. Um, I think that you have to go out and get somebody that is proven. Um, for example, Girardi has probably shown why he will remain a Yankee. And, you know, for some reason, New York, the New York Yankees have been playing with house money, but yet you kind of felt that he was on, he, he was almost on the chopping block at the Yankees not advanced beyond the first round, which is, which is totally unfair. Um, you know, the Yankees coming back and, and getting it done was probably the worst case scenario for the Nationals because they I think that they definitely would have gone after Girardi. All right. Which yeah, would I, be weird to see him in other in other in another <laughs> uniform, but I think they make they would have made Girardi a huge offer that he would he wouldn't have passed up. I, I think they're gonna maybe try to go with someone a little bit younger. They may give a guy a first time guy maybe a, a you know guy who's been a bench coach or you know been in the you know in the majors just hasn't got a chance yet but i think they're going to go with somebody who's really heavy on analytics that was one of the things that kind of dusty was opposed to and their front office is real big on the analytics and so there was kind of that friction going on between dusty you know going with his gut and you know doing what he sees versus you know the front office who a bunch of guys who were saying well you know by the numbers you should do this and do that so i think that's probably be the one thing that they'll be looking for is you know somebody who's into the analytics and, and into using the advanced numbers a lot more than dusty baker was mm-hmm. just want to let everybody know that today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com you can get a free audio book download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash know the score. Go to audible.com and find over 150,000 titles that you can choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's a free audible download and 30-day trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash know the score. So please uh, support Audible and know the score. We're going to move into the NFL as uh, Christmas came early once again for the Dallas Cowboys as they, uh, their injunction got upheld. So Zeke Elliott, after last week's show where we thought he would be off the field, he's at least going to be back on the field this week against the San Francisco 49ers. So Tyler, you can talk about Zeke's injunction and preview the game uh, with this next little few minutes I'm going to give you here. Um, how does this kind of week-to-week nature, you think, going to affect the the psyche of Zeke and of the team? Um. I think it's it's to be honest. I don't think that it affects the game. It will obviously affect the game plan whether he's here or if he's not here. But I don't think the long term of it, the long and short of it, is that if he's there to play, then he's going to be there to play, and your your game plan is essentially going to be uh, almost the same anyway. So I think you just it's almost a plug and play situation for Dallas. They have to take that attitude because right now. Uh, they're almost one more loss from being in panic mode, especially with the winner of the Eagles and and Redskins kind of uh, kind of leading the charge and separating uh, separation in in the division. So right now the Cowboys need to win. Uh, you know, two two games, 
two games that they felt that they at least had the edge in. Uh, they felt they definitely felt that they should have won against Green Bay, and they also felt that uh, they kind of gave away the uh, the game against the Rams. Both games at home, by the way. So now you're kind of behind the eight ball because you you've lost two at home, and you've got to get this one from Frisco. It's it's almost a must win right now just to keep pace. And considering that you play, uh, you you got a little bit of a gauntlet over this four game stretch where you've got uh, you've got the Falcons and you've got uh, you've got the uh, you've got the Redskins coming up as well. So this is this is going to be a huge this is a huge game. Um, but we did see that the Niners uh, improved against the Redskins. They uh, brought in C.J. Beathard. From Iowa, who uh, who looked who looked good in his limited in his uh, time as a quarterback, he made a lot of throws, hit a lot of windows, um, got their got their screen game going. Um, you know the Niners, the Niners aren't aren't the team that's just going to roll over and lay down just because they're not great defensively. So uh, this was this one's going to be hard to predict, but I think I'm going to take Dallas uh, going away thirty one seventeen. All right. Yeah, the, uh, San Francisco definitely uh, upgraded their quarterback situation by putting Hoyer on the bench at the end of the uh, first quarter. And uh, C.J. Beathard came in. And, uh, of course, the backup quarterback that nobody has any film on that you didn't game plan for has an advantage. And he just went out there and played ball. And he almost snuck out a win. So uh, it'll be interesting to see after, you know, a whole week of practice and game planning kind of, you know, what he does to a Cowboys secondary that isn't really that good. If San Francisco can keep the, you know, front four um, off of him a little bit, he'll have time to, you know, get some things down the field. And um, San Francisco 49ers have had a bunch of drops. So if, you know, their receivers are holding on to the football, they can definitely give Dallas a, a better game than most people expect. This is, this is, this is a scary game because uh, quite honestly, I personally believe that Dallas has the worst secondary uh in the league right now um I, I i i think it's even worse than the saints to be honest uh it's 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 quite bad um just because of the lack of experience i mean i know we're playing young guys we're actually start you're starting two practical rookies at corner so you know i mean anthony brown had a ton, ton of experience last year but i still consider him a rookie um uh, you know and of course you do have a true rookie jordan lewis who actually uh, has played well enough to the point that they cut Dallas cut the uh, their big free agent acquisition in Nolan Carroll, uh, which kind of surprised everybody considering the all the injury issues that the Cowboys have had at the defensive back position. So uh, that's that's good news from from the uh, from the draft standpoint that Jordan Lewis is panning out and he's going to get better, but. It's still bad, and I think Beathard is going to find some opportunities uh, on Sunday. Shifting over to someone who won't be finding too many more opportunities, at least for the next upcoming Sundays, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers went down with a broken collarbone uh, against the Minnesota Vikings this past week. Um, They say he may come back for week 15, but, I mean, unless the Packers are in a win or lose situation for the playoffs. I don't think that they're going to risk them, um, especially if they're, you know, 
four and 11 or whatever, or whatever they're going to, you know, five and 10, five and 11, four and 12, six and 10, somewhere around there. So how does this open up the NFC now? As you know, most people would figure Green Bay would have made the playoffs. So that's probably one less playoff spot or excuse me, one more playoff spot open for somebody, either wild card or the division now in uh, NFC Central. Just talk about the domino effect of Aaron Rodgers uh, missing most of the season. I'm not going to be the guy to necessarily count Green Bay out. Uh, I think Brett Hudley is a um, – he's a playmaker. I think that um, you're going to ask a lot of, of him right now. But it's the black and blue division. Minnesota is notorious for um, having letdowns in second halves of seasons. Det- as we can see, Detroit is looking Detroitish. Uh, you know, they, they, they've got the offensive tools, but you know, you still got Matthew Stafford, a quarterback, and you're only as good as he, as, as he goes. So, um, I don't think you could just hand the division off to the Vikings or the, or the Packers and I mean, Vikings or the lions and say, here, it's all yours. Um, I think if, if Hundley shows what he, what he, um, what a lot of teams feel that he can do. They're going. He may not be able to to hit the big plays or make the the single plays that that quote unquote only Aaron Rodgers can make. But if he doesn't make the mistake, he doesn't make mistakes, or if he if he's able to, you know, yeah, keep the interceptions down and you know make a few plays. They've got some guy. They've got some talent at receiver. Uh, the real question is, can they run the football? And you know that's that right now. That's hit or miss. But I don't necessarily say they're out of the playoff hunt until they're out of the playoff hunt. So we'll see. Um, right now, I can't pick between the Vikings or the Lions because of their because of quarterback play. I mean, I can't trust I can't trust the Vikings quarterback situation because you don't know if uh, if Sam Bradford's going to be healthy. You also don't know if uh, you know you got that means you got to rely on Case Keenum. And of course, I just mentioned Matthew Stafford's Matthew Stafford. So. You know, it, it seems like Stafford Stafford doesn't know what to do with with uh and I and it's and it's not just Stafford. I think it's the whole coaching staff. They have no idea what to do with a lead. It it almost seems like they're all, it's an on off switch, and they only turn it on when it's time to come back. So it remains to be seen. All right, and the most shocking score from last week. The New York Giants, with no receiving core, went in to Mile High in Denver and upset the Broncos on Sunday Night Football to get their first win of the season. Their young rookie, Evan Ingram, had a career day. Most catches scored his first career touchdown, has most yards in the game. Giants look like they might have found a running game um, as uh, their running back got over 100 yards. Uh, McAdoo gave up the play-calling duties to his offensive coordinator, and we had a uh, noted change in philosophy that was caught more of a necessity than maybe by choice, but the result was the Giants went in, their defense played good, played hard, got a bunch of sacks, flustered the uh, Broncos running game, and the Giants pulled out their first win. So, Tyler, how shocking was that? And have the Giants finally found an identity for themselves to kind of play with, to try to be competitive the next few weeks? I don't know if I would say shocking because, you know, it's Trevor Simeon. I mean, he's the, he was do a bad game. Um, however, 
given all things considered, don't forget the it, the, the turmoil, uh, the internal turmoil that that the uh, that uh, the Giants had when you had uh, Rogers Camardi suspended, and and K. <laughs> not only was he suspended, he was sent home literally as he was uh, he went went to Tennessee State's homecoming, his alma mater, and, and showed up there while he was serving his uh, his suspension. However brief it would be, I'm anticipating. He may even play on Sunday. Um, but despite all that, uh, the Giants pounded Denver's inside inside linebackers, gave the ball to Orleans Darkwa, and uh, Darkwa actually found some room to run, which was the, the Giants win, win at the line of scrimmage. Um, yeah, that was interesting to me. The fact that yeah. Darkwa finished with well over 100 yards rushing. Well, a big uh, story was that uh, Coach Sullivan, who is the offense coordinator, basically reshuffled their whole line. Like he kept flowers where he was and then basically just took everybody else and moved them around into a different position than where, the, than where they you know normally would play. And it seems as kind of been the magic trick to to sure up their shaky, shaky offensive line, at least for one game, and provide some running. Yeah, um, well – you know, as they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, you know, maybe maybe they can find some holes and and who knows. Uh, but did it save the season? No. However, did it prevent all heck from breaking loose in in New York? Probably so. Um, but as they say, the NFL's a week to week league, so we'll see. Um, right. You know, I I just think that the uh, you know it's a lost season for the Giants, and I think that a lot of guys are playing for their jobs right now. Including the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how Eli finishes this season if they can keep his attempts down, and you know he completes more with fewer attempts and doesn't take as many sacks. You know his stats and his numbers could actually turn out good enough where you can justify him, you know, getting a chance to come back. But then next year when they get all their people healthy, if they go back, they're trying to let him throw it thirty-five times a game. Then he may regress into what he was at the beginning of the season. It's very tricky with Eli Manning right now at this point in his career because he, he's always been able to lose your games without much help, but he could also win you some back in the day. But now it, he, it's not to that point. He needs a lot, lot more help than he's ever needed before. So their style of play may have to change up considerably if they want to keep him at quarterback after this year. Uh, speaking of which, we had a thriller on Thursday night as Derek Carr returns to his old former quarterback coming off his second game plan uh, after a broken back as they got the win over the Chiefs. The Chiefs have now lost two in a row. Looks like that their secondary seems to be an issue, even though they have uh, Peters back there. It looks like Mitchell is going to be the guy everybody's picking on, and uh, he's not living up to the test. Amari Cooper, 11 catches, 200 yards. Derek Carr, 400 yards pass and three touchdowns. Uh, first time the Raiders have kind of looked like the Raiders that we thought they could be since the first game, opening weekend of the season. Uh, give me your analysis on this game. Uh, basically, it came down to the wire. Oakland got three chances uh, down near the uh, one-yard line, two with no time on the clock as Kansas City committed penalties. And uh, Derek Carr finally found um, Michael Crabtree in the corner of the end zone, tied the game at 30, and then, of course, the field goal makes it Extra point makes it 31. So 31 30, Raiders over Chiefs. I'm going to say this uh, without hyperbole the best Thursday night football game that you may ever see. It was that good. Uh, you had everything that you needed division rivalry, drama, all, all the drama that you, that you want. And 
great playmaking, insane playmaking down the stretch. Uh, you know, obviously both teams had their chances to win. Both teams also probably could have lost it as many times as they had chances to win. In the end, just came down to uh, Michael Crabtree getting open, um, as, as the receivers have been doing all game, and just finding a, finding a spot and, you know, sitting down and making a perfect target for Derek Carr. And now, uh, you know, the Raiders aren't, aren't done yet. You know, they're not, they're, they're not done. And, and, of course, you know, they win next week. Uh, you know, they're right back in it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, hard, it's really hard to say because Kansas City has played – Kansas City played extremely well in the NFL season so far. That Andy Reid's offense is working. Um, but it was, it was time for, for, for the Chiefs defense to lay an egg, and they did. Um, Mari Cooper uh, was was outstanding. He's finally he's back. Um, I, I've been so disappointed with Cooper that I left him on my bench in one of my fantasy leagues. And obviously, I am the joke of the week because Cooper ended up with forty four points. Um, so, but it's good to see good to see him back as the number. Uh, you know what what was arguably the, the one of the better secondaries in the league. But now you got questions. Uh, do you do you still try to to run and attack Justin Houston? I mean, it's it's a lot of still. There's some questions now. Um, Pittsburgh used the screen game and got uh, Ladavion Bell in space, which is their strength. And you know there are ways you can attack the team defense now. So we'll see what what other teams try to do. All right, so now we're going to move on to this week, week seven. We're going to preview uh, two top games as we have the Patriots going back to Atlanta to play the Falcons. The Falcons are reeling as they blew a 17-0 lead to the Miami Dolphins. Let Jay Cutler and those guys come back to defeat them 20-17. The Patriots are coming off a win, much harder than expected against the New York Jets. Jets took them down to the wire. Uh, probably a bad uh, replay call away from uh, going into overtime with the Jets. So, um, your initial thoughts. I know the Falcons have probably had this game circled since the schedule came out. Uh, but they're not playing very well right now. Their defense is, um, you know, being exposed here the past couple of weeks. And, of course, we've seen the Patriots struggle with their offensive line, not being able to protect Brady, um, not being very consistent or very good on defense. They're giving up almost 500 yards a game on defense. Their secondary is in shambles. So um, does this game going to be just, you know, high-flying, you know, Falcons trying to look for revenge against the Patriots defense? You can't stop anybody? Um, That's exactly what I'm looking at it as. Uh, two teams coming off embarrassing performances. Uh, uh, you know, the Patriots did get the W, but I'm sure they were not happy at uh, giving up a 14 spotting the Jets 14 points. Uh, Atlanta, uh, they have to be embarrassed. Losing to Jay Cutler, of all people. Oh, by the way, they forced three turnovers. So I don't think Atlanta's defense is the problem. I think that when your offense all of a sudden can't move the ball um, and puts your defense in terrible field position, you're going to give up points. And eventually it caught up. Um, but this game, I would say start all your offensive fantasy guys that you have for the Patriots and the Falcons because I think this is going to be a shootout, uh, just like it was in the Super Bowl. I don't think it, their defenses have gotten any better. I don't think that the, uh, the acquisition of Stephon Gilmore has worked out. Um, I mean, their Patriots aren't, aren't cutting him, of course, but it's not good. 
uh, what's been going on there so far. So I think that Atlanta attacks him with uh, with Julio Jones. I also think that Atlanta's got to re- go back to doing what got them to their success last year, and which is uh, ballots with Freeman and Coleman. Give them running backs the ball. Give them opportunities to get to get into space. And maybe even th- th- use the screen game. Get those linebackers out outside. Don't let Hightower just stay in the middle and just pound your running back for two or three yard gains. Get him, get him outside. Um, Patriots still have Gronk. Atlanta still has problems covering tight end. So I think it's going to be very competitive on the other side. But this is typically the one that the Falcons can steal because I just think that their, their defense is slightly better than the Patriots. All right. Now we're going to shift the scene over to Monday night as the Redskins are going to travel to Philadelphia to take on the first place Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, basically, this is a, uh, you know, if the Washington football team can win this game, then they, you know, keep their chances for winning the division alive. If they lose this game, then they're going to have to, you know, battle for the wild card more than likely. And this is a chance for Philly to distance themselves uh, from the division, start out 6-1. and one. They'll have like a three-game lead on everybody in the in the win column at least it's about two and a half game lead to work out to the loss column. So I'm looking forward to seeing what type of secondary the Washington football team is going to be able to try out there. Uh, Josh Norman still is recovering from broken ribs. Uh, Bashad Breeland got injured, injured his knee against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, he's been practicing. They've been both practicing, but of course they're game time decisions. A lot of our whole secondary, a lot of guys got banged up against San Francisco. So it's going to be interesting just to see who they have to put out there against Carson Wentz, who's been doing a lot of his damage on third downs. Um, it's going to be very difficult because the Washington football team has a difficult time I'm checking Zach Ertz, and that's the number one look on every play for Philly. So if you have Zach Ertz in your fantasy league, I suggest you start him because he usually has a big day against the Washington football team. Uh, offensively, I just got to keep Kirk Cousins clean, um, try to find a little bit of a running game. Uh, Chris Thompson had a big game last week against the 49ers, kind of keep incorporating him. But we need to be able to control the clock and be able to run on first down and get four or five yards. So if Robert Kelly comes back this week and, and he plays, he needs to play a whole game. I don't think he's played a whole game in the nine or ten that he's actually started. I think he's only played like two whole games, so it would be good to actually see him finish a game. And uh, again, like I say every week, uh, a little bit more from the uh, wide receiver position. Uh, Doxon caught a touchdown pass last week, but that's really all he did. Uh, Pryor had a couple of catches, but he's going to have to you know, really step up and start influencing the game. We need him to get eight or nine catches on the outside, you know, mostly for first downs to try to you know, keep us on the field. I think it's the, again, with the Redskins third down, they're making third downs on offense and getting the other team off the field on third down on defense. Um, that's a really big key to, to their success moving forward, not only in this game, but uh, for the rest of the season. So um, how do you see that matchup, Tyler? I know uh, Dallas will definitely be um, turn, tuned into that one. Cause that's basically, you know, if Philadelphia wins, that's just going to make it that much harder for you guys to, make a run late in the season and win the division. I'm just going to say right now, I, I, you know, I'm not one of those fans who says, you know, I hope both teams lose. I'm not one of those silly guys. I can almost say if Philadelphia wins, Dallas can focus on 2018. That's how big, that's how difficult the gap is going to be to make up if Dallas falls four games behind the Philadelphia Eagles. Considering that we that the division has the toughest of interconference schedules. 
out of all of the of the league. Um, I think that if Philly wins, they're going to pull away from the division, and they, that that league will almost be insurmountable. To be honest, uh, I know Philly started out five and one last year, but if they start out six and one against this schedule, yeah, they can. You can pretty much uh, you can pretty much salt away the division because Philly Philly has a beautiful home schedule too um, over the next uh, four or five weeks. So they really could get on a roll and win the title. You know, I mean, it could be six and one. You could actually find them staring at nine and one. So we'll. Uh, I think that um, as far as the game itself. Throw, 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 throw to set up the run. Throw when you have first and um, throw on first down. Throw when you have favorable uh, second down. And of course, you know what's coming on third down. Philly needs to take advantage of their matchups here and their matchups, as you, you've already mentioned, Zach Ertz. But they've got a couple of other threats too. Um, Alshon Jeffrey on the outside playing very well. Nelson Aguilar is actually playing his best football of his of his uh, career so far. Uh, I want to see uh, the um, their third their their third receiver, Ricky out of North Carolina, um, Hollins. Uh, he made a couple of big catches last week against Carolina. Get him on, in some one on one in the slot. Uh, just th- throw the ball down the field. I, I, if Philly does that, they honestly shouldn't have a problem with this game as long as Carson stays upright, as long as they, uh, he gets protection, he should be able to make any throw he wants. All right. So that's a little bit of preview for week seven coming up in the NFL. So, Tyler, at this point, I'm going to open it up for your final thoughts and shout outs and thank yous. All right. Uh, just want to uh, say, uh, well, my shout out is actually going to be for the uh, the Good and Terrible show, our, for- our former podcast uh, on the CSPN. They've, of course, gone out and ventured on their own and they're doing pretty well. Uh, and I can actually already see differences as they've kind of stepped away. Um, if you if you were listening to them, you can actually go on their show on iTunes and download. Um, shout out to the Rasselcast as they sell, they had an anniversary episode this past, this past week. Um, as we are recording, I am on my way to Aggie Stadium in Greensboro, the home of the North Carolina Anti Aggies. Uh, they are the 11th ranked team in the uh, FCS poll. Uh, today they're playing against Bethune Cookman as they are going for a school record eighth straight victory to start the season. The school has never started the season 8-0 in almost 90 years of football. Uh, they're practically, the, the, they're by far the best um, HBCU football team in the country across all divisions. Um, they also have a, uh, they have two players on the Walter Payton Award watch list, which is equivalent to the Heisman in uh, quarterback Lamar Raynard um, and offensive tackle uh, Brandon Parker, who is likely going to be drafted. So it's plenty of talent. This is well on their way to be one of the top uh, top HBCU teams. Uh, you can make an argument in the history of HBCU football uh, in the modern era, uh, provided if they run the table and win the uh, win the MEAC and win the Celebration Bowl. Um, so looking forward to that. And I'm actually looking forward to uh, some some top uh, more HBCU football. There's a, there's a bunch of talent. Um, there are probably eight or nine NFL draft prospects playing uh, playing this week. Uh, look at um, Bowie State's Amir Hall at quarterback. Uh, look at some uh, look at Tennessee State that's got a couple of defensive players that 
will likely be following the footsteps of Dominique Rogers Cromartie into the NFL. So um, if you're interested, check out my man Stephen Gaither at HBCU, uh, HBCU Gameway dot, um, on Twitter at HBCU uh, Gateway. And you can also check out Gaither's personal uh, Twitter at Stephen J. Gaither. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, my final thought this week is going to be the reemergence of Penn State football. Uh, Penn State, of course, you know, in the news for all the wrong reasons a few years ago with the Jerry Sandusky thing. And then, you know, of course, they lost all the scholarships and, um, you know, nobody seemed like they wanted to go there and step in. And James Franklin took the job and he had a rough couple of years, uh, even last year, you know, uh, after they lost to Michigan, uh, people were, you know, still kind of on the, well, James Franklin may not be the right man for this job, but he persevered, got those guys back on course. Uh, they haven't lost a game since. And now comes uh, Michigan the game comes around again tonight as we record this and um, so it's going to be a whiteout at uh, Penn State they're going to have um, the all white uniforms they're ranked number two in the country um, it's going to be the ABC primetime game and it's just going to give a chance for everybody in the country to see that you know Penn State is back as being a powerhouse in college football and uh, to give a big tip of the cap to James Franklin for staying the course and uh, you know getting those guys back into the national talk and being a, a major player in college football so um, just wanted to um, before we go yeah. I just wanted to make a correction uh, the site, the the website, the Twitter app for um, HBCU Game Day is hbcugameday.com and at HBCU Game Day. Just wanted to get that clear. Uh, and, uh, you know, check them out and see where your HBCU talent is. All right. So for my co-host, Tyler Ball, I'm your host, Don DeLorente. And now, you know the score.